We welcome you to the NACMA podcast. Join us by listening to each episode full of interesting topics from industry leaders in college athletics. There will be a wide range of topics, each one focusing on what we in college athletics deal with on a daily basis, revenue generation, brand management, and the fan experience. Hello, NACMA family, and welcome to the NACMA podcast. This episode is for the veterans who may be knocking on that door of doing a little bit more than just marketing. I'm Brandon Hayes, Associate AD for External Operations at Wright State University here in Dayton, Ohio. I'm joined by my friend and Horizon League colleague, Adam Shim, and three guests who are either sitting in the big chair or knocking on the door. Adam, if you could introduce our guests. Absolutely. Um, Brandon, appreciate you having us here today. And uh, our guests are Craig Pinnens, Director of Athletics from Loyola Marymount, Zach Lassiter, Vice President for Athletics at Abilene Christian, and Zach Dayton, Deputy Director of Athletics at Fairfield University. So welcome, guys. Appreciate you joining us here today. All right, I'll get us started with our first question. We'll go ahead and just dive right in. Um, I wanted to, to get your expertise, whatever chair you're sitting in, whatever your your uh, role is. First question, uh, one of my favorite sayings, it's by Mike Tyson. It goes, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. For whoever wants to speak up first, what was your first punch in the mouth that you didn't see coming in your current role? And what did you learn from it? My, my second day uh, on the job, uh, at LMU as the AD, got a, a inquiry from uh, HR and from a, a student athlete in the sport uh, with a, a coach that was verbally abusive or accused, I should say, of being verbally abusive. And so that uh, led into an investigation and um, ultimately it was, was found that uh, nothing was was occurring, but that was uh, on the second day, and and that was a pretty much a, a welcome to uh, being an AD and all the the drama that comes with it. And it, it's interesting because in my previous role, uh, where I was responsible for being the the department spokesperson, um, often I would advise on those type of situations or come up with the statement when the the media would inquire about that situation and. I would then, uh, you know, work with our consultant, come up with the statement, make sure everybody signed off on it, and, you know, I'm done with it. Well, it, in this case, obviously, you're not done with it until it, it's complete or it, it still um, lingers for even uh, a, a time period after that. So that was definitely, uh, in the words of the great American poet Mike Tyson, my punch-to-the-mouth moment. So, Craig, I have a follow-up on, on that then for you. So, transitioning from your role at Oregon, where you were the chief communications spokesperson, um, helped crafting that message. What was your role in now crafting any message that might come out as an a- athletic director? And was that hard to potentially separate that if, if you had to move further from that? Well, the, the blessing and the curse of being at LMU is that, we you know, we... On any given day, we could be the 787th most important thing that's happening in Los Angeles. So we really don't have that much media coverage. And, and this situation obviously was something that was handled internally, never uh, made it to the, the student newspaper or other 
things. You know, obviously in those situations, it's a little bit different scenario, but we have had uh, different situations that have occurred while I've been here. And it does, it is helpful to have that background. Uh, but obviously when you're, when you're talking about something that could have some legal ramifications as well, you're going to be talking to the general counsel. Um, and, and that was the case when you're in a spokesperson type role as well. But uh, you know, when you're the athletic director, it's a little bit different because ultimately you're not just providing the advice, you're signing off on the advice. I think for me, I'll take a slightly different approach because this is, I, I was promoted into this job. So this is my, as the deputy here, this is my third job in six years at Fairfield. So I had a lot of um, university out here. So the, um, so when I moved into this role, I, I had to get comfortable with um, both internal and external stakeholders being comfortable with me being an extension of the AD. So I went from much more of the tactical day-to-day to, -day to, more of a, to a much more of a leadership role, and I had to get comfortable with that. Um, it sounds silly to underestimate that, um, but um, that's that, that was a big transition for me. So I used to structure very much in the tactical, and I moved to much more focusing on more people. So I've I've shifted a lot of my work to be to, to meetings with people, individuals, and and small groups of different departments that I oversee to make sure that they know how I communicate and how I can be of best use to them. And I do a lot more blocking and tackling than I was doing prior. So if my folks are successful and our team is successful, uh, they're going to perform. Our culture benefits. But I a big transition for me going being elevated at the current institution I'm at to this role was I had to change from the tactical day to day. Uh, to much more of a culture leadership, how, well, you know, what's the temperature of our people, how are our people performing, and making sure that they know how that I communicate and vice versa. So we, I, I needed to have better relationships with more key stakeholders, both internally and externally, for us to be successful. So it was a maybe a maybe an extended punch in the face. It was a longer term thing than than Craig's day two example, but um, once I got more comfortable with that, I think we started to see better results in the department. See if we'll see if Zach can battle his uh, home Wi-Fi uh, here. We can probably move to the next question. Um, see if these guys can chime in on that. Yeah, certainly. Um, our next question is: uh, What's what's an area you oversee where you have very little experience in, and how have you handled the management of that area? I'll jump in, uh, and, and really, you know, for me, when you, I, I think when anybody comes into an athletic director role, um, if if it's a first time athletic director, you're not you're you're not going to have experience in every area. You just aren't. You, you might have touched various areas uh, in in your role previously, but you're not going to have experience in every single aspect of of what this job entails. And for me, uh, I would say I'm probably weakest on academics, and, and certainly if you were to take a look at my transcript, I think that would be reflected. Um, but you know, I, th that is an area where you have to trust the, the people that you have, and you have to let everybody do their job and provide you feedback and, and try to learn as much as you can to provide uh, the necessary commentary 
on that particular area. But uh, I would say for me, it, it's probably our, our academic uh, space and unit. And, and fortunately, um, you know, we were a school that has always uh, prided itself on academics and, and done very well academically uh, with our student athletes. So it, it's an area that there's not a lot of correction. Um, it's just a, some maintenance and, and trying to figure out how we can best provide for our student athletes. I'll give a quick follow up there, Craig. Did you find yourself whenever you're coming in and you don't necessarily know um, your academic staff? Did you find yourself in, a, in the weird spot of having to blindly trust people that you're also evaluating right off the bat where you're like, hey, I know nothing. I have to trust you. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, I, I think you you try to feel people out a little bit. Uh, you know, one of the things that I did when I, I took over is I interviewed every member of our, our staff, uh, coaches and and staff. And we have a, a staff of about 75 to 90 people. Uh, and, and so to interview them, it, it took probably three weeks to do. And, and some of them were short. Some of them were 10, 15 minutes long. I didn't have much to say. And then uh, some of them were over two hours. And they had a lot to say, maybe too much to say at times. But I think you're right. Um, Brandon is that you're evaluating the people when you walk into a situation and, and until they give you a reason not to trust what they're saying or what they're doing uh, you know maybe I'm, I'm too trustworthy of a person but I, I really believe in the power of people and until somebody gives you a reason not to uh, you, they are the subject matter expert and, and you should believe in them now with that being said I think sometimes um, at various places you you might also because you you know how things operated at a previous institution or in previous experiences you can bring some of that and ask questions as to hey why are we doing it this way and and the thing you have to remember when you step into a, a leadership role and it doesn't matter for an athletic director a deputy ad position is those words carry a lot of weight when you when you ask those questions and so you have to remind people i'm just asking a question i don't need you to change everything because i'm asking a question and that took a little bit of time to understand and i think zach is kind of smirking a little bit because he probably had that happen to him a few times oh absolutely and i'll um i'll provide an, an area of external as as a counter example to craig as far as when i took this role Broadcasting was where I was probably the most thin and, and and broadcasting from the perspective of building out our studios and our production team and the folks that are really going to make this work. Um, and at the time that I was hired, we started to transition to an ESPN shop and I had very little knowledge of that at the time. So similar to Craig, though, it, I, we wanted we hired great people and talented people that could do the job and that were really good communicators. And sometimes I'd say, you know, I need you to talk to me like a third. I'm a third grader and just like walk me through this. But over time, between hiring the right people and being involved in capital projects to build broadcast studios on campus, and I just I'm really intrigued by um, the broadcast field overall and you know, between multimedia rights and and just even how we put on games here um, on ESPN plus. Um, so now, you know, seven years in, I'm pretty fluent um, in broadcast, but it, it's um, it's a combination of hiring the right people, 
making sure they can communicate. And for me, I'm I just I try to be a lifelong learner, and I I love the I'm I'm super intrigued by the space. I'm super intrigued by the potential of the space for us at Fairfield. Um, so it's I started out at Ground Zero and with really no knowledge at all, and I I'd, I'd like to think I'm pretty fluent at all. My staff can challenge me on that, but um, it was really just it was a combination of things and making sure that it was the right people and making sure that we could do this the right way for us. And, and it's going well so far. Just a quick interjection in, in my you know infancy overseeing external here. That's that's been really cool for in like month six through eight is that transition between why are you asking me that? What are you trying to do to me? Until now it's oh, they're just treating me like an expert. I kind of like this. Uh, so I've seen that tide turn just a little bit and uh, that's been pretty cool to see. It certainly made my life a little easier. Zach Lasseter, you look great and you're moving and hopefully we can hear you. Yeah, I think Mike Tyson took your question literally and punched my uh, my Wi-Fi out. <laughs> I feel like Glass Joe a little bit. I'd, I'd love I'd love for you to hit that first question uh, since you you've been you know recently crowned there. Some of the things you've run into early on that really you weren't prepared for. How long's the podcast? No, uh, the. I think that like any anybody who's excited about being a first time athletic director, I imagine everyone has their hundred day plan and, and has an idea of of what they want to do and how they want to do it. And I think that's an incredibly smart thing to do until, you know, in my situation, you get hired and in day one, they're like, well, we're going to we're going to make a transition with our football program and our volleyball program. So we need you to to hire those, those two. And I'm like, where's the bathroom? Um, where, where exactly do I go? And so I, I think it's the, the nature of of being prepared uh, for a plan, but recognizing that factors beyond your control are going to ultimately lead to to moments where you got to be able to pivot and, and pivot pretty effectively. And um, that's what we did. I mean, that so it was. I think you're always ready for them, but in, our, in my situation, it was is making a decision which ultimately you're judged maybe more so than any decision you're going to make, right, in terms of hiring a high-level coach and doing it with, with zero institutional knowledge and being able to navigate and build trusting relationships and relying on your past experience and how you go about doing that with a new institution and trying to, to learn those relationships and what's important. Um, and, and I think in some ways you're never totally prepared for being an athletic director or making these decisions and, and being comfortable with that, but trusting kind of how you go out making decisions, even in, in critical times. And it, I actually think it was an advantage. While it certainly wasn't part of my my plan or how I would originally like to roll things out, it allowed me to, to build relationships and make decisions in ways really effective that kind of spoke to how we're gonna move forward. And, and I was able to use my background in being at football institutions and knowing what a successful football program wanted, how I went about hiring coaches with you know, relying on some relations of, of who ACU is, what's important, what makes a successful coach at ACU. And ultimately that that's how you make decisions every day. Uh, you're, you're comfortable not having all the answers going into it, but ultimately understanding that you're the one held accountable in the end for, for whatever outcome decision that you make. Awesome, I, I, I wanted to keep it moving here. I think we could talk all day about that. Um, the on the flip side, our last question relied to areas where you have very little experience. The thing that I probably struggle with the most getting started, you guys certainly have experience with this. 
how do you manage the area that's your area? Uh, Craig coming from communications, Zach coming from uh, creative date, Zach coming from uh, marketing side. How do you manage that area and make sure you don't use that as a crutch? I can jump in and uh, so for me, the marketing and creative services areas are definitely where I'm most comfortable and the areas where I had to kind of let go a little bit. And I think what's important to know in marketing and creative is there's several different ways to get to the end game, um, especially on like the creative social side, as far as what content you create and, and how you tell your story on social. So um, really, you know, we, we've got people that I trust. I've defined the broad based expectations and our goals and we've come up with those collaboratively. Um, but then you got to give them their space and they've got to know that you, you're there um, to provide counsel and feedback and input and to, to block and tackle, as I mentioned earlier. But then you got to let them go. You got to give them the freedom to make mistakes. And what I've learned recently is you've got to give them the freedom to make mistakes and then you've got to provide the right feedback at the right time. You know, oftentimes, like I think marketing directors are the take all of us who have been on headset at one point in time and you you really probably don't want feedback the, the second a basketball game's over because some you know it kind of feels like you just played yourself you know it's it's an intense moment so you find the find the best time and that depends on the person some people want feedback right after the game some people next next morning in the office hey can i get 10 minutes this could have been better um oftentimes the best people probably know that they made a mistake and are already course correcting that mistake before you even get to them um so if that and if that happens you kind of know you're in a groove so it's been really hard to to create space and and but i want our, our folks to be uh to be dedicated to their craft and to not feel like i'm 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 uh all over them with every decision that they make i want to give them the space to to create their own mark on our programs Either you guys want to want to hop in on that. I, I, sometimes I wonder is if you just don't have time um, uh, to manage everybody, and you, you kind of have to hop around. But uh, Craig, do you want to jump in there? Sure. I unlike Zach, who got knocked out by Glass Joe, I'm I'm that King Hippo right now. So I, I feel like I'm I've advanced far enough, but I can never get past King Hippo. So this might be my last question. Um, no, I I for me, I've always been pretty clear in the last couple of roles I've, I've been in where I've overseen areas that um, I, I have experience in that that person has a really hard job. And, and I have that conversation with them up front that you have a really difficult job and I, I want this to work out as as best it can. I'm going to be here in a support role. I want you to do your job. I'm going to have some opinions, but I don't my opinion is just an opinion. You need to do this in the manner that you think is is best, and um, and, and we can talk about it. So, I, to me, I, I think that it's a really hard role for anybody to be in uh, when your supervisor has a lot of experience in that particular space. And so, I, I try to provide distance uh, from that, and again, provide feedback when necessary. I agree with what Zach said. You definitely don't need to be in the moment or, you know, during the game, um, texting or, or doing things, unless it's something that needs to be corrected, like immediately, then that's a little bit different. But uh, I think recapping and, and trying to find those moments is, is important. 
I'll jump in first. I just appreciate Craig's age to appreciate Mike Touch on punch out characters and uh, I can go back and forth and I can talk about bald bull all day long. Uh, but I, I do think that when when you're not in that role anymore, I think you got to have the discipline to be able to walk away. Um, and, and to me, it's like I had a, a really frank conversation with with our eternal team of look, I have more empathy for what you go through more than probably anyone else in the department. And if privately, you know, you want help, advice, counsel on how I can help you, I don't want you to feel like I can't assist you, but I'm probably cautious and thoughtful about in settings that involve more than just myself and that unit to, to make sure to allow them to lead in that space. Um, and, and I think that that's something you gotta have trust in, in that area. At the same time, I think, you know, we all have gifts. And so if, if you don't allow your expertise in an area that you know well to be able to add value and, and create a better experience there, I think you're, you're, you're cheating yourself and your department to some degree. So I think it's, it's not a matter of not being involved. It's just finding a way that still allows that person or that unit to feel empowered. But also, um, I think now more than ever, a lot of external folks you know, are, are having challenges and going through that. And so if you, if you don't support them or spend time with them, then you're not assisting them in reaching their potential. Uh, I just think you gotta be cautious about non-experts in that area looking to you versus people that are in that space. I think people generally in external want feedback from people they, they trust and have credibility and, and believe they can add value and get better. So it's that balance between trying to be supportive privately, but then publicly really allowing them to have success and then naturally when people try and give you credit or say you contribute to that being really really careful and my aspect to, to point back to that team of this isn't because i was here or because i have that expertise because that team was able to execute and have vision for what we're trying to do in that space so zach a follow-up on that you talk about developing discipline any tips for the listeners on how to develop such discipline well, I think it's it's recognizing that you have a role to play, um, and and ultimately, and I learned this from listening to people. Like there are only certain jobs that the athletic director can do, and if the athletic director is spending time playing external or playing internal or doing something else, then no one's doing the job of the athletic director. And so I think in any role, recognizing that you have a role within your organization, that if you aren't doing it no one else is. Um, and so not only are you cheating that person out of that opportunity, but you're not doing what you're tasked to do. Um, that's hard um, to, to, it's hard, it's easy to say hard to do, but I, but I do think in general, I've recognized that uh, if you surround yourself with really good people and you, and you remind them that, hey, I wanna be accountable for this area and I'm asking you to be accountable for that, um, that's, a, that's a reminder. I think it's actually easier to be disciplined in this chair than it was when I was in the deputy chair over external and overseeing multiple units. So surprisingly, I think it gets easier as long as you recognize what you're being hired to do by, by your boss. Awesome, appreciate that, that feedback and that uh, information there. So we'll move on to the, the next question here. Um, how do you manage your time and ensure you're spending enough time with, with each of the areas that you oversee? It, it's pretty difficult to to find time for everything because you, you can get stretched pretty pretty thin. 
uh, I, I think the most important thing is stepping into those areas that need the most help. You know, we talked about it a little earlier and you're, you're constantly evaluating people and the most important aspect of this job is personnel, um, whether it's coaches or, or staff. And in, in various points of the year or a day or a week, uh, various units or, or teams need more help than others. And so I think you want to step in and, and figure out where those, those places are. Um, again, in, in a lot of it, a lot of times you actually don't have as much time as you would think for administrative uh, units because you're spending a lot of time with your coaches. And depending on what your sport offerings are, some of those coaches um, can can take up a lot of time because that is what your your goal is at LMU uh, without having football for us men's and women's basketball are, are are two most important sports and I don't have a problem saying that because I, I tell that to our our staff and our coaches all the time because if men's and women's basketball are successful here it's going to help from a revenue standpoint it's going to help from a visibility standpoint and it's going to help everybody else be more effective at their job whether it's their sport um, if they're a coach or their actual uh, unit that they they work with so unfortunately you, you probably get pulled far too often into um, things that have to do with for us uh, with with basketball and rightfully so because that's ultimately you can do a lot of great things in your role um, you can achieve a lot in in other sports but your worth as an athletic director is determined by how you handle personnel in your revenue sports period and that that could be you could view that as unfair but that's reality and so unfortunately your time if you were to make a pie chart of it probably gets spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to help out your primary revenue sport um and again it, it that doesn't leave a lot of time for other things. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in on, on Craig because he, he's right. <laughs> I mean, it, it starts with the premise that there isn't enough time and you're not going to make everyone happy and just accepting that early on. Um, I, I do think that, that the personnel piece is there. The other thing I would say is it's fairly simple from I agree with Craig. Like it's it's hiring good people and then it's giving them the resources to be successful. So So I would say ultimately, you know, I spend a great amount of time with people, with stakeholders that can provide us the resources we have to be able to support hiring good people and give them what they need. Um, and, and that may look different at different institutions, right? For us, we have a small but mighty donor base. So um, our, our success is gonna be rely on philanthropy and those, that small group of folks that continue to wanna invest and support a program at a way that we have a vision. Um, at another institution that might be student fee related, right? I mean, I think you have to recognize where your revenue streams are coming from and how are you building relationships or shepherding those people to be able to continue to have momentum and excitement about the program. And then lastly, the other thing I would add is you don't underestimate how much your presence when you become the athletic director means to people. Um, and, and while in general, I, I'm someone who used to spend 
a large amount of time building quality relationships and spending a ton of depth, the ability to, to make appearances and be in front of, of all your teams or in different audiences to show that it's, it's strange to get used to people seeing if you're there or not there. Um, and so I do believe I probably spread myself and do things that maybe 10 years ago, I would see as superficial, right? Of, of being at that event or that game, but not being able to have like an in-depth conversation or being there for the whole game. Um, now I'm now okay with, hey, I can only make it for two innings of that softball game, but that is significantly better than not going to the game at all. Um, and so trying to find ways to, to be present in, in faces with our coaches and student athletes as, as best we can um, is, is a challenge. But I do think ultimately you have to, you have to be able to have the right people, like Craig said, understand who can move a needle and then who the folks that, who can provide resources to you. Because uh, ultimately that's the rest of your department has to be able to move on their own um, and you spending a ton of time trying to micromanage administratively while maybe in your comfort zone is not the best thing for your organization to be able to reach its goals. And I, I agree with what's been said. I'll, I'll take the question from the deputy chair as well. Um, so I, I've tried to run a very lean meeting schedule with our external teams. I don't like a lot of meetings and I don't think our, our crowd does either. Um, so from a, from that perspective, I'm in the process of trying to peel back and give people back their time. Um, I think that's important. And what that allows me to do is that allows me to build more relationships in the, in the department because my time is freed up. And as a sports supervisor for several sports here, uh, the time and effort and dialogue that I have with the coaches that report to me has created uh, much stronger relationships. And when times are good, times are great uh, because you've got those relationships and you're on the same page with your coaches. But when there's challenges and and every program has them at different times in different areas, um, I can lean on those relationships because we're we're having consistent dialogue. So I'm as far as demanding time, I am by far nowhere close to an expert. And, and and certainly learning every day. But I try to be very lean, uh, really cater to the areas that uh, need more time and need more help at any given moment, and then spend the time building relationships with our coaches um, to ensure that uh, they have what they need because um, my boss is expecting that, that, that these areas are handled and they're under control and that, that we're on the same page. And that, that in turn makes his life a little bit easier. Before we jump into our last question, I wanted to to open. Uh, I like Zach Lasseter's last point about that those slices of seemingly superficial time. It, how many of us that are that are listening to this podcast kind of come from a worker bee background? When you're sitting there as a worker bee and you you have that guilt of I need to be working, I need to be working. When you're in the AD chair and a deputy chair, where you're overseeing many sports. And you go for those two innings or for those 10 minutes, how do you make that time count? Is it making sure the coach knows you're there, making sure you're sharing something about what you saw there? How do you make those moments count? And then how do you shed how do you shed the guilt of of being there and just being still in the moment? Any any other input there? It, that, that's a really tough balance. You know, it, it it's interesting. We do student athlete surveys here. Uh from the time I started until now. And it's fascinating that student athletes will put, because one of the, the topics is, is there anything you'd like to tell the athletic director? 
And so they get to comment on that. And some of them are, you know, it'd be nice if you came to some of our, our games. And I'm like, I, I do, you know, like I, if I'm, I live right around the corner, if I'm here, I'm, I'm there. But what I've realized is they actually do to Zach's point, pay attention to that and know if you are coming to their games. Um, now that is in direct conflict with just my personality when i'm at an event i'm not there to be seen or to make a big deal of hey i'm here like hey everybody look shortstop i'm out i'm at the game you know like i i just i'm not going to do that and i also don't necessarily like listening to to fans or parents i usually am pretty far away from the action uh so i and i've gotten comfortable with that you just kind of have to let it let it roll and and know that um it is it is somewhat superficial but be invested in the in the game when you're there and and that's just from a personal standpoint like i'm i'm dialed in if i'm at the event uh, i'm i'm not trying to do something else um i really want to focus on the competition and and uh and, and worry about the other things later yeah i think craig makes a good point i, I think just being an encourager i mean i, I think that everyone needs some encouragement um, as opposed to, to criticism. And so I think how, how you can, and I think being present in this game, and this, this may sound superficial too, but I think the way you encourage young people is different than how you encourage some of your more experienced staff. Like a post on social media when I'm at a game is actually more impactful than sometimes being at the game because I can recognize those student athletes individually. If they win athlete of the week, or if they're at that game, um, and again, I don't do it to try and get credit, but I do know that it that it's something that they notice. Um, and I think that's important. And, and Brent, to your point of the guilt of, of, you know, sticking in your office, I think the most important transition I made was my time isn't valuable making me better. My time is best valuable when I'm encouraging and making others better. And I'm much more likely to make somebody better by being present with them than I am being in my office. Uh, and, and that to me is an impact move that I, that I try and make. And that's a transition of anyone going from a, an area where you're a, you're a specialist to being more of a generalist. And, a, and in some ways, you know, the face of the program or someone who's setting the tone of, of how you want to interact. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it, you challenge your, your norms. That's like life in general. Like when I was young, I would say when I get married, I will never own a minivan. And there's 10 reasons why a minivan is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And now that we have a minivan, I will swear by minivans and how effective they are. So life is all about becoming the thing you used to make fun of and embracing it and realize like how well well-intentioned you were at one age, you've now just um, turned it around 180 degrees. Zach, you're really, you're really smart though, because minivans actually have a lot more cargo space than SUVs. I mean, so if you're if you're really looking into it, or if you're listening to this podcast and you're you're starting to have kids and you're worried about the stigma of minivans, let's let's destigmatize the minivan because it's a lot more practical and it has more cargo space than those giant SUVs. There's no doubt, and there are four wheel drive in minivans, so don't yeah. don't make the case that you can't do all the things you need to do. Without a minivan, I agree. I just, some of them look good too. I mean, it's not like I mean, some of them are very stylish, you know. So yeah. I, I'm all for it. Zach I Dayton, see. do you want to jump in before I break up the old dads club here, which I'm a, proudly a member of? 
I think the only thing I'll add is uh, a parent of two daughters under three. This has been an enlightening conversation as we look for more Trump space. That's, I think, what I can add to this. Just let it go, man. Just let it go. <laughs> All right. Final question here. We'll get back on track. Uh, what would you tell uh, most of the listeners um, looking to make the next move, whether it's to deputy chair or even for Adam and I, where we're, we're an external and we you know, oversee multiple areas? uh what what should we all be doing now um i think some of us that are trying to take that next step it's 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 a question you don't know the answer to um so is there anything uh tip or two that that they could be doing right now to prepare i'll go first since i've been the the poor uh contributor in this in terms of my life and i think uh two things jump out to me One's cliche and one's not. One, one, the cliche I would say is, is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, put yourself consistently in situations where you're not comfortable in your current profession, even if you've been there for a long time. Because I think whenever you go into a leadership position, you're going to be uncomfortable. And the more you're used to that and the more that doesn't scare you, the more you're going to be effective in that role. And then the second thing and it's, it's, a, it's a term that's used a lot, but I actually think it becomes more important the higher you go within the organization is have enough self-awareness to know if you're an institutional fit. Um, because I think you can get away with not being a good fit when you're a marketing director or when you're an associate AD or maybe even sometimes as deputy AD. But when you become a leader of the organization and, and you don't know who you are and you don't know how to determine whether that institution is a good fit for you. I think no matter how good you are at what you do, you get exposed, not because you're not good at what you do, but because you're a wrong fit. Um, and you hear search firms say fit all the time. And I didn't really get it when people said that, but now I recognize how important it is to be able to lead authentically and at a place that you believe in that vision. So that when you're having these conversations and you're moving hundred miles an hour, you're not trying to say something you don't believe in or you're not becoming someone that you're not. And the reality is there are a ton of places where I am not the right person to be the athletic director at. There's absolutely that case. And 10 years ago, I would have thought I could be an athletic director at a lot of places. Now I recognize that that fit is far and away something that, that I want to spend more and more time truly understanding through the process, not only institution, but learning myself and what environments allow me to be the most successful. I can add uh, two points as well. I would say along the lines of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, you, you, in a lot of these roles, especially mine and probably future forward, you go from a specialist to a generalist and that's uncomfortable. And the best way to, or be message that I can give to assistant ADs or associate ADs is to be a student of the game while you do that. Because if you're committed to learning, there's never been more resources than there are now uh, about college athletics. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, there was a lot less to pull from and, and you're relying strictly on networking and relationships, but um, there's a lot out there that can help you master your craft and get better and better at you know being, being prepared even in those uncomfortable moments. Um, secondly, I'd say I spent a lot of time trying to evaluate and know how I communicate um, I know we just we're just coming off of the Nashville trip with the NACMA veterans group and we had Kevin DeShazo there and I've been working with Kevin for almost 10 years since he started and 
I'm a big believer in the five voices and and understanding what you're all about. And now I have my staff and I have our, you know, I, I have folks that, you know, that are assistant coaches uh, who report to our head coaches who report to me. I have them doing that assessment as well because everyone translates what, what I'm saying differently or what anyone's saying di- differently. And I'd like to get ahead on that. I'd like to know what they're thinking or, or how they interpret information or how they manage conflict and if you spend a little bit of time on that, I think it goes a long way um, because it takes away or it takes takes out some of the mystery um, when you're trying to communicate and get everybody on the same page. So investing and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the five voices. There's a lot of different tools out there, but if you get an, an understanding of how you communicate, um, I think you're going to be better off because you know both your strengths and you definitely know where you're weak. I know what what aren't my uh, strong points and the things I need to work on, but that analysis has helped. I would just add uh, a couple things. Number one is to focus on the job that you have. I think far too often uh, young professionals or mid-professionals get so fixated on what they want to do in their career or where they want to be, and they lose sight of the job that they're in right now. And the most important job you have is the one that you actually do have right now. And so if you do that really well, uh, eventually it might take a while, but people will recognize you for that. and you'll you'll get to where you want to go but you have to it has to start with performance in the job that you have so that, that's the first thing and then the second one is something that i've lamented for a long time and uh, i i think it's something that um marketers are are really poor at uh as a whole and it has plagued college athletics um i'm making this sound really dramatic right now i'm i'm trying to build it up i'm marketing right uh, but you know one of the things that marketers do a really poor job of is promoting themselves within their own department um and what i mean is when you have a success you need to let your superiors and other people in the department know what a success is and and what happened because far too often these jobs in on the external side, whether it's marketing or SIDs, you could operate at a 99% efficiency rate, but that 1% is very visible to the public. So if there's a mistake in a game, guess what? You're gonna get yelled at by multiple people, whether it's a coach or an administrator, your athletic director, for something that happened in the game. And you could have been 99% accurate the whole rest of the year, but they're gonna remember that one point. It's like a bank. You have to make some deposits and marketers don't do a really poor job of depositing on a daily basis. So make sure if you're in a marketing role to let people know what you're doing. And and sometimes the best marketing jobs are stopping the bleeding. You know, when the team's not having a great year and you've somehow kept attendance static, that's a win. And you need to let people know what a win that is. Uh, and, and unfortunately, marketers do a really poor job. They're good at marketing the teams, but they're really poor at marketing themselves. Rounded it out with some profound stuff. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, in, in my role, just being naturally curious is my term for it, or it's just uh, once you get on that assistant or associate AD role, I've noticed that the more you can ask, what's that? Why are you doing that? How does that work? Um, just immensely important um, as you're looking to to move up. Well, with that, we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up. 
Um, I want to thank all of you guys for for being here, taking time out of your day to help educate uh, uh, those in NACMA, because I know that uh, there's a there's a group of us kind of sitting in Adam and I's seat where we're, we're exploring the next move and, and just trying to do all we can. So uh, thank you all. And uh, to the NACMA folks, thanks for listening and thanks for your time. Anybody, any last things to add? Any other uh, minivan recommendations or anything? No, I'm I'm not getting any NIL deals out of it. So I refuse to advocate one minivan over another at this point. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. And thank you guys for, uh, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the NACMA podcast. Be sure to visit the online community and join NACMA in continuing the conversation.